Curiosity. What are you so curious about? Everything. Mr. Curiosity. All righty, folks. Joe Snedeker here, also known as Mr. Curiosity. And uh, my guest today is a curious dude. That's all I could say, right? You are a curious dude. It's John Mayday. And I always thought it was Maday. We'll, we'll start with that. Why can't it be Maday? Well, it could be a no. That's the way the family has always pronounced it. <laughs> I'm I'm half Polish and half Ukrainian. The Polish it was M A D A J, Madai, and then some of the family pronounce it Madai, some pronounce it Maday, some pronounce it Mayday. We pronounce it Mayday. See, the J morphed into what well, became anglicized and morphed into a Y. Got it. Got it. I, you know, I, I would just think because of the, the military May Day that you wouldn't want that. You want to separate that from you. But you're saying that works in your favor. It works in my favor for a number of reasons, because most people do not forget that name. And <laughs> the things that I get involved in, you know, you want to be remembered. You want to be re- branded. Yeah. Because you know? uh, everything I do, just to give you an idea, everything I do in my life right now, I refer to as uncompensated labor. <laughs> I'm in a position where, yeah, where I can, I vol- it's all volunteer work. Well, that's um, what happens when you get to a certain point in life, right? When you get to a certain point in your life, you do a couple of things. One, you either uh, sit back, sit on the porch, watch the world go by, and wait for the uh, Grim Raper to come and take you off that porch. <laughs> well, wait, before we get into it, I just want everyone to know that John Mayday Here's our history together, and then we'll get into your philosophies of life. I love it. We're going to talk a little bit about Agnes, because you lived through it. We're going to talk about your rich history. But John Mayday, you and I met decades ago at a river group, a live broadcast that WNEP did. Right. Mm -hmm. And And then this guy is there. He's effervescent. He's unique. He's bizarre. He's full of knowledge and wisdom. And it's you. And since then... I haven't seen you that much, but I do know that you're, t- could you give us a title now at least so people who are just getting into this could say, oh, uh, now I'm going to listen. Trust me, you want to listen. But what is, what is your title? Okay. There's a multiplicity of titles. So <laughs> See, it's never easy. involved with a multiplicity of organizations and state <laughs> of labor. So for, I am the, and remember now, you and I, I have this kind of the same ideas about titles. Yeah, you don't want to stand on ceremony. I'll give you the titles first, and I'll explain a little bit about what those titles actually mean, especially <laughs> when you're volunteering. I am executive director of the Riverfront Parks Committee. I didn't I even know there was a Riverfront Parks Committee. We've been around. I've been with the organization for 32 years. I know you have, but I didn't know that was like the official title. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a, we are an environmental uh, education organization, environmental education, awareness, stewardship, advocacy, and recreation. We Love teach it. about the environment, but we hold events such as River Fest and Chalk Fest and everything else to bring people together. And we have all these displays about the environment with all the fun stuff, the bands, the food, the activities for the kids. And go title, ahead. title number one, title number two, president of the Downtown Wilkes-Barre Business Association. Wow. Big shot. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something about those titles, though. And I'm also on... <laughs> I'm on the board of the uh, Diamond City Partnership, which is the uh, Downtown Wilkes-Barre Business Improvement District. Is this title number three already? Yeah. And then <laughs> I'm also, I am also on the blo- board of the Luzerne County Flood Protection Authority. 
Title number four? Yeah, I we 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 manage the uh, the levee system, the sixteen mile levee system up and down the river. That's a serious proposition. Oh man, well, do you have a title number five, like husband, father, or anything like that, or you don't want to get into that? No, I'm a um, I I I am a, a, a independent agent. Formally <laughs> <laughs> okay. right. married, but it didn't take. <laughs> See, now it's getting juicy. Now we're getting juicy. <laughs> oh, I can tell you about that. All right. So let's... let me just let me just say something about those titles. Okay. Because people say, oh, executive director, president, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you you sound like you're so important. I yeah. Say, you know what those titles get you? When you're holding an event, when you're running an event, you have something going on, that means you get to be there before everybody else does, and you're there after everybody goes home. <laughs> That's it. So <laughs> I get the feeling from you, and this is what I like about you, that you're irreverent, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, me too. So we're two irreverent minds here that are connecting. And you don't even like those titles, I bet, because titles <laughs> and people who put them on cards and letterheads yeah. and brag about it, they're the worst people in the world. Here's the problem with that. I always try to explain the title away when I give them the card. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want somebody to think, Oh, yeah, you're how can I approach you? You're the executive, you're the president. No, it only we it's part of the corporate because we are the Riverfront Parks Committee is a nonprofit. It's a it's a it's an official nonprofit corporation. It's a 501c3. The business association is a 501c6. The other one is a 501. I mean, these are technical terms that we use. That's why we have officers in the company. I mean, in the organization. Gotcha. It's why with regulations. But what I need to know is the arc of your life, how you ended up with those three, four, five titles. So let's go back. I know you're not uh, vain enough to hide your birth year. Tell me that. The year that you popped out of a uterus was when? I'm going gonna, gonna to do it this way. I was born at a very early age <laughs> in New Jersey. What exit? New Brunswick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but see, you're not giving me the year, so you are. I'm going to give it to you right now. It doesn't bother me. 1944. Oh, okay, so 1944. So now I can put this in the in the timeline and placement. So you're born in Jersey, 1944. World War II is going on. You're right. just you're just a, a newbie on the planet. What are your parents doing? What are they all about? Well, my well, and here's the other part of this. I was only there for about a month to two months. My parents are originally from this area. Oh. My father had a job there in a leather factory. And I don't know what the circumstance was, but they were ready to move back here. My father's from Nanticoke. He's he's the Polish part of the family. Okay. My mother is from, she's the Ukrainian, Russian-Ukrainian. She's the, um, uh, she grew up in Hanover Township. However, part of her, her uh, upbringing, she grew up for a while. She was a kid growing up somewhat in uh, uh, Pleasant Mouth. And she was, she said that she was kicked in the head by a horse when she was a kid. <laughs> I know exactly where that is up in Susquehanna, Wayne County. It's about yeah. 20 miles north. There. That's a whole different world there. So it's very rural farmland. So somehow her family lived up there on a farm, but then they migrated to Hanover Township. So when they moved back here, they moved to Hanover Township. And uh, then everything took off from there. So I grew up, my formative years were spent in Hanover Township. I, I got you. But you, so are you officially a war baby? Yeah. 
I'm part. I'm I'm part of that uh, baby boomer type thing. But you, did your parents ever say like, "Oh my God, uh, Adolf Hitler was in Europe and we were creating you"? Did they bring that up or no? Like it was. No, a that, was that was ever that was ever part of the discussion. Oh, <laughs> here, here's the issue with this. The one thing that I remember about all this is because we were um, mid to lower income, so everybody was scrambling. Just and everybody in the neighborhood was the same way. Yes. So we were, yes. We all had the same interactions. We were all in the same positions. You know, some people worked in factories. Some people worked in uh, the coal mines. So in the little town I lived in, in Hanover Township, you know, these little townships, they had all these little burbs. I grew up in one we call Corncrest. Okay. You know, there's Corncrest, Hanover Green, Breslau, all of them. I was in Corncrest. I'll tell you something. In that little town, there were three grocery stores within just a couple of blocks of each other. Well, there's no Wegmans. There's no whites. That's why. There's a, not everybody walked because yeah. mass transit, everybody used mass transit. You know, cars were few and far between. But then everything changed after that. So I grew up there. The summers were spent working at Sansui Amusement Park. Oh. Oh, yeah. And are you familiar with where Hanover High School is? The, the, the Hanover not really. I know the area, but not specifics. Well, that's where Sansui Park was. Sansui Park went back to the the 20s. It was one of those amusement parks that everybody went to. Well, you know, you you probably knew Rocky Glen. Yeah, that's uh, that's in my time. Yep. Right. Yeah, that's in music. And then there was uh, Hanson's in Dallas, and then there was one in uh, Hazleton. But they were all close by, so I grew up there, and yeah. I, I worked there. I worked there for a while. I was uh, I started working there when I was 14 huh. in the summer. So, so you're, you're busting through adolescence and puberty. And I guess this is the time now when you're into the fifties and sixties, it's yes. Elvis. Here comes the Beatles. Here comes the British right. invasion. Here comes the cultural revolution. Yeah. And that's happening. Did you like feel it? Well, here's the interesting part about that. When, when I graduated, I graduated in 1962. Right. So that decade from 1960 to 1969, <coughs> excuse me, was extremely transformational. You know, everything changed uh, from the time of everything looked gray before then because television was black and white, men were dominated everything. And by the end of that decade, you're right. I lived through all that change. I lived through all of that history. Yeah, that's six. You're right. Those 10 years, you still have segregation. You still you still have women being, being held down by man. You yes. still have... You still have no one on the moon. Space exploration didn't even start. I mean, what a whole different world. It was from the time when I was born and then, you know, went through. I, I grew up through the 50s, graduated in 62, went into the Air Force and everything. All of that stuff just just changed completely. Our life. And I lived through that history. I when you're a kid or even a teenager, it just seems normal. Like this is my time. Of course, everything's yeah. changing, right? You yeah. just go with it. But absolutely. But when I look back on it now, yeah, think, what a transformation we yes. went. From, we went from Donna Reed making <laughs> dinner with a dress on and heels and a girdle <laughs> to, the end, to the to the end of to the end of the decade. Women were burning their bras. <laughs> I like the part with the uh, heels and the vacuum, though. For some reason, that sounds sexy to me. Maybe I'm a weirdo. 
Well, yeah, they were going back and forth and back. Yeah, and forth. yeah. <laughs> so and her husband, a doctor, would come home and he'd have his pipe and she'd bring him his slippers and and his uh, drink or whatever. And then the kids would be, uh, they'd all sit around the table and 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 have such a good time. And I'm thinking, people don't live that way. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. You're right, though. Beaver Cleaver. Uh, even when I grew up, I was born in '66, so I grew up through the '70s. I never saw my dad. Um, and I have a younger brother. Use a vacuum, uh, change a diaper. Right. Uh, he never cleaned. He, he, you know, right. he was just like a dad's dad. You know, and that's all changed. Never did it, and the, and the male children never did it either. Yes, it's amazing. I'm glad things have evolved to where we're at now. It's a lot oh, uh, better, yeah, at least with really that. Evolved. Look, look yeah. what's happened, especially with race relations. You know, yep. everything that Medicare. You know, uh, uh, Johnson signed the bill for Medicare. And, and and it changed people's lives, so, you know, retirees. So that yes. that decade was so trans. I my opinion, it was the most transformational decade in our history because we started to doubt government at that time. Because, yeah, because of what was happening in Vietnam. Don't forget, I served in the military at that time. I was an Air Force medic, and I served from uh, you know in the sixties. So I went through some. Let's say interesting stuff. That was not a whole lot of fun. So if my oh, history is you something. But wait, if my history is correct, did you did you skip Korea and skip Vietnam or no? I was Vietnam. You were kind of in the middle though, because right? I mean, by the time I, Vietnam I started. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. What do you got to show me there? What do you got? He's pull, he's pulling out something here. He's got a <laughs> Who's that handsome guy? That's me in my in my Air Force uniform. <laughs> 1962? No, no, this would have been about nine. Yeah, right around about 1963. There it is. What a handsome dude. So where where when did Vietnam start? 64, 5? I forget. No, Vietnam actually started about 10, 15 years before that, but the, the war intensified with American involvement during uh, 63, 64, 65, 66. There you go. There you go. So, now, I was, so, so I was right in the middle of all that. I was, so you, you were in Vietnam? Yep. I was a medic. Whoa. So so I know it brings up probably a flood of harsh feelings. Could you summarize? That's very good that I don't even like to talk about. Is that right? Well, yeah, because, well, I'm, you know, it's... I'm, I made it back. And that's right. one of the reasons that I kind of get involved in things. So a guy like me who's seen Apocalypse Now and all the Vietnam movies, is, yeah. I mean, is it hyperbole? Is it, is it realistic? Is it? Well, a lot of that is, is, you know, for drama purposes. Of course. A lot of it, there's a lot of it that's, um, yeah, that's, that's real. Didn't Marlon Brando say, I think in Apocalypse Now, yeah. you can, you can, you can, when he's in the jungle, he said he wants to be home. And then when he was home, he wanted to be in the jungle. Some people are, some people are like that. I just wanted to get out of there. You just wanted to get out of that thing. Of course yeah, you did. Yeah, who wants to be, you know, and I have the uh, extreme irony of I was trained to save lives, but you're also trained to take lives. You know, you have to carry a weapon. It's human beings at their worst. It is. But. You go, you take the oath to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. You know, that's the drill. Right. But when you take that oath, you have to be serious about that. And ever since then, every time I get involved in something, if I make a commitment, 
It's a responsibility. It's the same as taking an oath. But John, at the same time, you seem like the kind of guy who is a free thinker and who questions everything. Did you start thinking at the time, maybe this isn't the right thing? Maybe this isn't what our government should do? Maybe I don't. You did all that. Well, because it's a civil war. Right. And you can't win a civil war with with overwhelming military force, typically. I mean, what you, the only way you can win it is you have to occupy because as soon as you leave, they're going to go back because you're invading somebody's country. Similar to what's happening now in the Ukraine. Right. But think I, about it. The, the, well, that's a little different uh, because it's, it's, a, it's an enemy. In, uh, but, but they're looking at, Russia's looking at it as a civil war. That's a whole different set of politics. Right. But, but here's the, the, other, the other part of that. If you look at, just think about our civil war, you know, the uh, North and South. Right. Another country came in and said, we're going to stop this and we're going to invade you to stop it. Could you imagine that? You're right. What, what? We wouldn't put up with it. If anything, it would have united the North and the South, right? right? Yeah. Maybe that would have been the answer then. <laughs> but, but, but the politics of that, a lot of what was happening, no one wanted to, no one wanted to admit that, no, no, not one politician, a president or anyone wanted to admit that this was unwinnable. Right. So you keep on going and you keep on fudging the numbers to make it look better than it is. And then everything just fell apart. So, but the, so, but, but I did my part and I feel good about it. And I, I will tell you this, my time in the military opened all kinds of doors for me after I mustered out. Well, and I was going to say, so now when you come back home and it's the late sixties, early seventies, you're in your mid twenties, what happened? Yeah. Well, my see, my thought always was because, as I said, growing up, you know, we're low to middle. Um, oh, I like that. I like it. See, this is real, folks. Beautiful, beautiful. The answering machine goes up. I thought I turned that off. But, no, I like you. Let's hear what they have to say. No, we better not. <laughs> I tried to order a pizza. <laughs> But no, but I mean, it's it's peace and love at 69, 70. You're back home and you're in your early mid 20s. What's going on? Well, here's the deal. Um, and part of this part of this story takes me to uh, your business in the broadcasting business. That has a direct relationship with your station. Wow. So, but here's the deal. I always wanted to, to uh, seek uh, higher education, but we were lower income, you know, middle, lower income. So okay. I wasn't going to school. So my idea was, if I go into the military and I survive, I could use the GI Bill to leverage that to go to school. But I was in what was called, when I joined the Air Force, it was four years active, two years inactive. I did my four years active. I'm two years inactive. They could call you back at any time. Okay. So I, so, on again. so I, so I, um, <laughs> so uh, oh, here comes the message. Now everyone's going to hear it. We better. <laughs> uh, overnight on Friday, I have to get away to cover the first two hours. This is, a, uh, this is directly related to Riverfest. Oh, see that? <laughs> I'm having a security detail down there to watch it. And he's calling me to tell me he'll be there. <laughs> As long as he doesn't use foul language or give out a personal no, no, number. Uh, no, no, I know these people. They're good. They're good. <laughs> so here's, so let me further explain this. The two years inactive, I didn't want to get involved in going to school because I could have been called right back and sent right back to where I was. So I thought, 
don't go to school because you'll be interrupted. So I went to Washington, D.C. for a couple of years to work. A friend of mine worked there uh, in a data processing operation at the Civil Service Commission, and he was going to want to get me a job there. So I said, okay, I'll come to Washington. Maybe uh, who knows what will happen. So I worked there for two years. It was interesting. I almost thought about staying, but I thought, you know what? I want to get this education, but I had to come back here because it was less expensive to live here. Yeah. So I decided to do that. And my first stop was I I came up with this idea. I wanted to get in because I've always been interested in news, information, history. So I said, I'm going to go into broadcasting. You know, and how do you go into broadcasting? Yeah. State Wilkes-Barre campus has a, um, a mass communication course that takes you through and gets you into the next part of the curriculum to do that, to train you to do that. So, so kind of without the liberal arts bachelor's degree nonsense, you just go right into the uh, communication well, journalism part? Courses, you know, you take other courses that fit in with that. You know, you had to take math courses and all of that. Okay. But I, I was focused on mass communications. And Penn State and the other schools had what they call an open door policy for veterans. In other words, I didn't have to take any tests to go in. We just walked in, filled out the paperwork, but they put you on probation for uh, a semester just to make sure you weren't wasting your time that it was right for you. Well, this makes sense. So you're having fun. You're getting an education. You're back in Luzerne County. So here's the deal. I uh, The second semester, I I was able to get an internship. Okay. At a local AM radio station that was on Union Street in Wilkes-Barre, WBAX. And one of the owners, now get this, one of the owners, there were three owners of it. Okay. This was a guy by the name of Jim Ward. I don't know if you ever heard of it. I bet Mike Stevens would know the name. Oh, I know Jim Ward. Sure. That's a legend. Right. Jim Ward. But he was one of the owners of that. He was Buckskin Jim. <laughs> he didn't know that. He was at Channel what was Channel 34. That was an ABC affiliate in downtown Wilkes-Barre. Wow. And the two merged. And that and that station, that building is still right is right across the street from where I am now. I remember they had the big call sign letters on the outside of the building. I'm, I'm sorry, W-I-L-K, not W. I was at W-B-A-X, that was W-I-L-K. I was going to say, which, yeah, which, yeah, I mean, legendary local radio here. Yeah, so, so he was one of the owners, so I had an internship, and what I was doing, and then they gave me a part-time job, and what I was doing was news, and I was doing, I, I filled in as a DJ, sometimes in the afternoon and sometimes on the all-night flight. So there hey, I was. I love it. So, so are you living back home with the parents? Is there a woman in your life? You're working part time. What's all happening? Oh, that's that's juicier yet. No, I haven't. <laughs> what were you dating a stripper? Well, how could that be juicy? No, here's here's what's interesting about that. Um, no, I was um, no, I wasn't moving back home. You know, no. I'm an adult. I'm I'm on my own. Yeah. But when I was in Washington, I met this young lady, and we developed this relationship. And then the relationship was going great. But I said to her, you know what? I'm going back. I'm going I'm going to school, but I'm going to do it back there. And I'm thinking she's not going to uh, uproot herself from Washington because she was right. doing okay. But so, and we were kind of uh, living in uh, Arlington, Virginia. And here, the next thing you know, she tells me because she had been back here a couple of times. We came back to visit. 
And she liked it here. She says, I'm coming with you, which was a big surprise to me. <laughs> she chose you over her uh, home area. Yeah. She's following you. And so yeah, she, was, she was originally from Indiana. She this becomes your wife. Pardon me? This becomes your wife. Eventually. <laughs> years later. Right. Oh, that's interesting. So you get so your... Oh yeah. It's, so you so you're you're working in communications, you bring back a pretty lady, you're here back in northeastern PA. Yeah. It's nineteen seventy what now? One, two, three? What's uh, up? It's uh, about nineteen seventy one, seventy uh, nineteen seventy, yeah, about nineteen seventy one. Okay. So I come back here and I'm in that radio station, and the one thing that I, I became aware of, this could be a very nomadic enterprise because <laughs> It takes a while to become established. And usually the first place you are, you're not going to be established. So I thought at that point, you know, the um, uh, the song from uh, what WKRP, you know, the theme song. Yeah. I At that point in my life, I wasn't ready to, as that song goes, move up and down the dial okay. to, to establish something. I mean, I was doing we we're doing news. I was doing rip and read from the uh, from, from from the uh, Associated Press. And doing weather and and uh, rewriting stories from the newspaper and and it so was you, great stuff. But your so your goal was to not be nomadic and stay local, find a good job, yeah. hunker yeah. down. Yeah, hunker down. So and but she, as I said, she came back here with me. She and she picked up a job. She moved on pretty quick. She picked up a job with uh, with King's College. Well, so, this sounds like a great beginning. It was a great be- beginning, and so. What I decided to do was I decided to, you know what, I have to get I have to do something a little different. So I decided to move from Penn State over to King's and study business administration. And and I ended up with two degrees, business administration and political science. Boy, you're killing it in the uh, early 70s. Then here you go. And then she picked up a job at City Hall in Wilkes-Barre. So I'm going to King's, she's at City Hall, and then I pick up a part-time job with IBM because they liked hiring veterans. Binghamton? So all the while I was in school, I'm working at IBM part-time. And IBM, IBM where, though? Binghamton? No, IBM. They, no, there was a, I'm sorry, there was a marketing office in downtown Scranton. No, I never knew that. There was one on Wyoming Avenue, and then we moved over to uh, the Northeast, which was the former Northeastern Bank Building which is now PNC, the administration offices. But John, I hope I hope we didn't skip over one of the main reasons we're talking. Did we skip over 1972 or we're not there yet? Well, you if you want to talk about 1972, we could talk. Yeah, about so I'm just wondering. So you're you're working at the radio station, you're going to college, you're bringing a lady back from DC and here comes June 1972. Here's the other part of this. It, this, this is the other part of this. In between Penn State and Kings I I took a a brief hiatus because I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do. So I took a part-time job. I mean, not a part. I took a full-time job delivering for a printing supply company, delivering to printers. (laughs) So that landed right in that time frame of, of Agnes. So I'm driving this truck around all over Northeastern Pennsylvania, all the way down near Philly up to the New York state border and going back and forth. And then this, this uh, (coughs) Agnes hits you know, it, first it was a hurricane, then it was a tropical depression, and then it, it settled over here, and it kept on raining and raining and raining and raining. We know the story. So here we, through that whole week, and we know what happened through that whole week, it became more intense. 
and more and more, uh, you know, the, the uh, uh, officials kept on talking about, we're getting really concerned about this. This could cause a flood. So we're in the apartment and right a couple of days before, you know, because the water's coming up. You and your, you and your woman are in this apartment. Right. It was on, 28 uh, years old. Yeah, about that. Downtown Wilkes-Barre on, uh, on South Washington Street. So not too far from the river. So that week, my sister calls me. She lives in Edwardsville. She and her husband, pretty high up um, on, the, on the hill, well out of the floodplain. She said, you know what? Uh, if anything comes up, you can always stay here. And I think I, I'm listening. I think I hear her husband in the background grumbling about that. So, <laughs> no husband wants uh, visitors like you there, brother-in-law or whatever. Right? right. And I don't want to be there with him. He doesn't want you there. So... So we um, so the night before the night that that all happened, you know, it was a Thursday night going into Friday. About three o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call from my sister, and I already, you know, we have stuff packed. I get this phone call from my sister, and she said, "You know what? We just heard on the news that uh, the uh, the the bridges may be closed by about ten o'clock in the morning because it's that serious." Meaning you got to get out. <laughs> I got to get out. So we took all of our stuff, and I'm thinking going to be gone for maybe three or four days. So I had enough stuff for about three or four days tops. So head over, we drive her car over. Uh, I drop my stuff off. She drops her stuff off. And then, you know, we're you know listening to the news because the television is still on. And a call comes out from General Frank Townman. He's the emergency services coordinator or whatever. Okay. Looking for volunteers to come down to the levee system to pile sandbags, go through that process. And, you know, my military background, I said to my sister, I got to go. So I jumped into the car. I took her car and I drove down from Edwardsville down to Market Street and parked a pretty good distance away because I didn't want to get too close. Right. Water came in. So I, you know, ran up and there they were. This is thousands of volunteers up and down, up and down the valley. And there we are filling sandbags with, you know, the tons of sand and it's raining and we're piling them and it is muddy. It is messy and we're dirty, but we felt as if we had to do this. But later in the morning, we get, we get word that, you know, where uh, the Kmart used to be in uh, Edwardsville. Of course. Okay. Well, the water also backs it can back up there, come out of the banks and come back up there. Well, some of it was starting to come over that way. And there was a call that the river was getting really high on, on, in front of us. <laughs> so General Townend, they sounded these of, of sirens. They said, everybody better get out because what could have happened, we could have been encircled and trapped in the middle. Oh, my so, God. Yeah. So the sirens went off and everybody scattered. But the one thing I do remember about it was it was not this mass panic. People were talking with each other and saying, maybe we'll meet again sometime and congratulate. I'm not congratulate. Thank you very much for helping. And oh, I see. Yeah, because I'm, I'm wondering that myself. So it was like a slow process. of Right. Yeah, of, I remember that. I see. I don't remember people panicking. I, I, and so I, I quickly moved back to where the car was and turned it around and drove back and drove up the hill. And but, then, at, but at that point, I mean, you, you've been through Vietnam. You've been through different jobs and educational foundations and systems. Do you, do you th the things you're seeing in the Valley, like yeah. places you grew up, places you shopped at, everything's going underwater. Was it freaky? Yeah. Was it bizarre? 
You hadn't seen anything like that ever. Yeah, and it was a feeling of, um, well, maybe it won't happen, but but it did. And then the feeling was, especially the next morning when you woke up, it was a crisp, cool, almost cold, brilliant blue sky. And you walked down the hill and you could see the water there and you knew that everything else was covered. And you looked at that and you think, what do we do now? All right. But then you had to figure out how do you survive where you are? You know, I'm at my sister's house and we're wondering, when are we going back? Was the apartment you left underwater? No, I was on the second floor. So okay. I came up to the first floor, but the, all the physical plant, all the infrastructure, all the heating, the you know, electrical part, plant and all of that was completely destroyed. So, so you couldn't get back in the apartment. So my, my theory of three or four days. Yeah. It became what? Months. Is that, months. So, so, so many people, I didn't realize that, separated from their belongings for weeks, if not months. Right. Yeah, because you couldn't, where are you going to go? But, but then when the water receded. Yeah, but once the water receded, didn't they say, okay, you can come and get your essentials? I mean, wasn't there anything like that? Oh, you get more stuff out, yeah. But then you couldn't live there because right. it's going to take a while. And, you know, certain certain there are certain priorities, you know, certain infrastructures, you know, health and human services would come first, fire, safety, all that would come first. And then you start putting everything back together. So 50, 50 years ago this month, do you recall like the smells and the, thought, the the emotions? Oh, the mud, the smell from the mud and the muck and the, and you know what was in there. It was, you know, it was disgusting. But here's some, here's one anecdote about this. So we were away from there and we were able to get back in and get some stuff out. So then we go back, but then we get back again. It was weeks later to get into the uh, apartment and maybe start, you know, I don't even know what we thought we were going to do because we couldn't move back in. Right. But open the refrigerator. Now, remember the electricity. <laughs> all you that see fridge is, hasn't been open in weeks, month. And all you see is green. Is that right? It's completely covered in mold. Why? At that point in your life, you're not. Even if you could find a refrigerator, because everybody's trying to uh, replace, um, you know, appliances. You know, we were in a financial position to buy a new refrigerator, so it had to be clean. And, okay. But everybody else was doing the same thing. Yeah, the clean. I mean, it just it had to be disheartening. It had to be emotional draining. It had to be depressing. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. And then, but then, when I still couldn't get back, I still had that job driving that delivery truck and job at Kings. So she went back to help, you know, whatever they had to do to get themselves back, you know, cleaning things or whatever. And I had to go back to driving that truck, but you couldn't go. You had to go take these detours because most roads were closed. And this is what? How long after? Two weeks? Three weeks? Two, uh, uh, almost a month after. Sometimes some of these roads were still uh, impassable. So it, it became... Um, it became a real challenge, but, but I will say this. The one thing I always credit was my military training, because when you go through that, you're trained right. to be adaptable. You're trained to adjust. You're trained to succeed. You're trained to be mission oriented. So that's what you do. You just focus on that and you don't panic. You keep a cool head about you, because if you panic, 
you won't do anything, and that's not that will not achieve anything. So it's just a way of looking at life too. Yeah, and I appreciate you saying that because again, uh, I was just in kindergarten at the time. I have no memories of all of this. So mm -hmm. uh, we appreciate your help and people like you. I want to take you back to some of these stats from uh, June 1972. Do you remember what the number one uh, song was in the nation? You're going to be shocked when you hear this. I, I'll tell you one thing that I do remember. What Before you tell me, what was on the marquee of the Paramount Theater? What was on there? A Clockwork Orange. Oh, and that is a... <laughs> That's one weird movie. I saw that when I was 18. and I, I... <laughs> Malcolm McDowell. I still don't understand it. What, I the, know, I, I and I still don't understand the it. The eyes tape, the faces. Oh, gosh. yeah. All right, number one, Candyman, Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> Candyman, can. Average price of a house, 29000 Gallon yeah. of gas, gallon of gas, 36 cents. A car, 3800 bucks. Unbelievable, isn't it? A pound of uh, loaf of bread was about 22 cents, I think. Yeah, Cowboys, National uh, Champs in football, MASH just premiered, Watergate was happening, American Pie, another great song, Don oh, McClain. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, and you lived through all this. And uh, so so to go from that, because you still have a life to live, what, what happens now in your late 20s, the flood recedes? How, could that have been one of the things that got you into this this river position you have now? And well, it was, uh, that was that was uh, years later. Uh, that was in uh, 19, um, 1990, I got into that. But that was one of the reasons I got into it was because of the impact of that the river has and the environment and how it could change it. So when I knew about this organization, a friend of mine told me about it. And I said, yeah, I think I'd like to be involved. You know, so we got involved with, with, with trail cleanups and, and we gradually morphed into education. And we teach people about the environment. We also... We also try to emphasize the fact that the river is not an enemy. The river is here. Rivers go up, they go down. But that's and that's also one of the reasons why I accepted a position on the board of the Luzerne County Flood Protection Authority because what we do is we help to prevent that ever happening again. But you know, nature is nature, and it could happen, and we have absolutely no control over that. But we can do as much as we can to prevent it. What a lot of people don't realize, you made that very good point, is how old the earth is and how old the Susquehanna River is, which was yes. hundreds of millions of years old. Rivers are supposed to flood. The entire valley, which is flat and fertile with rich yes. minerals, is because yes. if you look at it over tens of thousands of years, millions of years, it's a norm. It's a steady. The river winds, floods, enriches the soil, retains its banks. This is what happens. It's a like, natural process. It's but, a natural process. I'm wondering when the when when the Native Americans were here and they probably saw the European settlers and white man move into the valley. I bet you they got a few laughs out of us yeah. for building so close to the river. They had to, right? Well, and the reason we did it was because it was a form of commerce. You know, you're close to the river and you could build something and then you could move products up and down the river. Right, but don't you think they, they had oh, a yeah. chuckle out of it because they yeah. had the rich history of it and they knew all that's going to be underwater. They had seen that in their... They're not gonna, they weren't living there. And right. they, weren't living, they weren't living in close proximity to the river. No. Just to stay up high. I know. We, <laughs> we said, hey, look at this. This is great. We could be right here. We can go fishing. We can get food. We can do this. We can do that. And we can move commerce. So let's live here. 
And that's that's exactly what happened. And, you know, you, when you look at it now, you know, people say, well, we should just abandon it and get out of the way. You're not going to move these buildings out of here. You have to do everything you can to prevent that from ever happening again. But I'm still surprised that there wasn't some knowledge because geology was in its infancy, of course, throughout yeah. Europe in the 1800s and into the 1900s. Someone should have known that you don't build that close to a meandering old river. I, well, I, you know what I mean? Like there's a, But most of the, look at these communities up and down the river. They built them there. They built them not right next to it. I know, but whether there are ancestors from Germany, Europe, uh, Lithuania, Russia, they had a, they had a pretense for knowing that rivers flood like that. Why why did they allow this to happen? I think they just thought they. It, I don't know, but but think about it. It probably flooded while they were there too, and they kept on coming back. I guess it's just human nature, right? It is human nature. Now, how about this? Uh, you were mentioning how times have changed since the '60s. That one decade. I remember, and this ties into your river career, being a kid growing up just north of Carbondale and Simpson, the Lackawanna River in the 70s, my buddies and I, whatever you grow up in, you just assume that's the norm. And, you know, you don't really try to change it. You just accept it. Yeah. I remember seeing, of course, solid waste, feces, toilet paper floating down the Lackawanna River, which was just three blocks down from the house I grew up in. And that was the norm. And we would laugh at the river as if that's a cesspool of flowing water. Don't get near it. You just accept that. It's a disgusting thing. Look at it. Have fun with it. Make jokes out of it, but don't go near it. We always, we did the same thing when, when we were growing up. And then we were, even when uh, we were adults, you would come down the river and you look at it because all of the stuff that was flowing into it, primarily from the mines, from the coal mines. The Not to mention the mines, Yes. And all that mine waste and all that mine water, you see the foam on top of the river. Everybody talking, don't go in that river. Because don't go in the river. Raw sewage. Right. Raw sewage. And in, uh, it was constant like that. But now it's changed quite a bit. So that river's pretty clean. Uh, yeah. So now I know Lackawanna, the tributary to the Susquehanna, is one of the cleanest rivers in the east now. And I kayak it and I swim in it and I bike it around it. I mean, it's just beautiful now. It has been clean and we put people on the water all the time. But there are still some of those. And even younger people, I'm always surprised. But then again, they're getting this from adults and from somebody else. Oh, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't touch that water. I said, what are you talking about? I said, it's clean. I said, it's, there's nothing wrong with it. And we'll have boats on the water, you know, for river fest and all that. And people get in them and they go and they don't have a problem with it. Oh, I know. But if it were in the 80s, you would because it's programmed into our oh, mindset. It's programmed into your brain. But there are still some of those who who are uh, of the same mindset. Yeah, they still see it and accept it like it's a dirty thing. Keep away. There it is. But keep me away from this this thing. But no, that's definitely not true anymore since uh, the treatment plants. I took environmental chemistry as a part of my master's degree at college. And my professor would uh, go to the effluent coming out of a treatment plant and fill up his cup and have a drink in raw sewage out water. And we all had shots of water at the other end. Of the treatment plant. Yeah. Hey, speaking of uh, the, the river and the cleanups, yep. I have another prop. And this involves your station. And okay, here we go. He's got props, folks. For the, for the non-visuals, let me tell you what he's got here. Okay. But this also involves one of your reporters who was attacked verbally by one of our volunteers. How long ago? Um, 19, 
1997. 1997, a WNP reporter attacked by a heckler. Okay, here we go. man by, by one of our volunteers who was a little uh, shaky at that time. Okay. I can't see this too good. He's holding up a picture, and it is... I don't know that face. Should I? That's me. Okay. <laughs> So, you see what I'm holding? You're you're holding you're the in a TV set. The uh, television screen. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Let me tell you a story about that. <laughs> and I'll tell you who the reporter was. Well, we had um, the river was extremely low, and you know, we, our, one of our goals was to uh, you know keep the river, try to keep it as clean as possible. Right. The river was low. And we saw one of our volunteers happen to spot all these tires floating, not floating. They were just sitting there, thousands of tires. So we said, let's see if we can get together a group. Maybe we can get some, about 10 volunteers go down there. Maybe we pull out 100 tires. Right. Well, we put the word out. We had 200 volunteers. We pulled out about 2,000 tires. And we did some media to try to attract some people. Right. So down there. And it's very difficult to get there. I don't know if you know where the Black Diamond Bridge is. No. It's in back of Kirby Park. It's it's inexcusable. You can't even drive back there except with heavy duty vehicles. And that's how we got them out of there with military vehicles through Congressman Kondorsky. So we're pulling all these tires out, and some of them are these huge industrial tires, and they're full of mud. So we're in the water up to here, and we're pulling tires out, and we're going through all this, and we're packing them up. And it's muddy, it's dirty. I'm filthy. That picture says it all. And we, I found this te- uh, this television, part of a television set, so I put it up in front of my face, and somebody and took the picture, and they made it into a photo for me. So, so that your head is inside of a TV in that picture? Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're doing all this, and I look up, and this is where the, t- uh, the trestle for the, uh, for the uh, Black Diamond Bridge, it's a pretty steep hill. So we're pulling all these tires out, we're piling them up, and lo and behold, one of your reporters, I look, and here's one of your reporters coming down this hill, and here's the camera guy, the photojournalist, lugging, and remember, this is 1997, somewhere around there. Okay. I'm sure the technology has changed. Those things are much lighter. Yeah, I'm a lot smaller. <laughs> this thing is heavy. So she comes down and says, I said, how the hell did you get down here? Because you can't park close to there. So she says, you know, we heard about this, and we want to, you know, can we interview somebody? I said, okay. So we we're doing an interview, and one of our volunteers, who can, as I said, can be a little shaky at times, he spots this. He comes running up, and he starts yelling at them. Why don't you cover more of this? How come you don't do more stories on this? And he's dropping the F-bomb. Get out of here. And I said, Dave, Dave, don't attack these people. He's yelling at them because it's their job. It was Paula Giacomo. Oh, man. <laughs> And he's yelling at the wrong person because they are there to cover what he wanted right. to be covered. He right? says, he's yelling at you. You should go to your station. You'd be doing more of this. They're <laughs> <laughs> here to help us. They're going to do a nice story about this. Hopefully it'll inspire somebody else. But That's yeah, funny. Yeah. That's funny yeah. stuff. Well, so, well, John, since you've been connected to the river and all of these stories for so long, for decades, do you think the attitude now is changing? And by that, I mean, Again, I'm a child of the 60s and 70s, and it used to be, remember the old phrase, throw it over the bank. People would yeah. just throw, go. everyone there, everyone had a backyard landfill. 
if you have something you don't want, you roll it in the river. Tires, garbage. Yep. Um, and and it used to, you know, carriages from supermarkets. The river was just like this dumping uh, mm-hmm. source. So now I think that that attitude is gone. Not only, of course, are the rivers cleaner because of environmental uh, regulation, but I mm-hmm. think the attitude towards rivers. Do, do you see? I mean, do you still find people who are abusing it or as that if you were to graph what you anecdotally have seen and witnessed over the last 20 30 years a change it has changed and it's a minimal it's a, let me give you an example one quick example the, when i first became part of the riverfront parks committee a friend of mine said we're doing this uh, trash pickup <laughs> so we started uh, near the base of the market street bridge and we went from the base of the market street bridge under the arches to about 200 yards into the park. Okay. About 300 bags of trash. Now we have cleanups that go from Pier Street, from the uh, Veterans Bridge, from the Pier Street Bridge, all the way back into the park, all the way down into the um, uh, natural area, and we may get 10 bags of trash or 15. And much of that, and some of that is, is when we have high water events, well, you know, water seeks its own level, as some people do, and that's a whole other story. But well, the water seeks its own level, so we get some of the trash that floats in from somewhere else. You know, it's not always the trash that's dropped locally. So the, the point is, it is changing. Isn't that remarkable, a more positive outlook on the river and the people yeah. who live near it? That's what it's all about. Hey, I know we're, I know pretty soon we have to cut this off. I don't know how much time we have, but I think... I I have been involved in something that not one of your other podcast guests has ever been involved in. What is it? I'm going to show you a prop. <laughs> he's got another prop here, folks, and he's pulling out a long cylindrical thing. I'm trying to figure out what it is. It looks like it? a... It looks like a baseball bat, but it's not. Is it a is it a lighting implement? I can't. Yeah. Can you see? Can you see this dark material on the inside? No. Yes. Yes. That is the char remains of the Olympic flame. So that is the Olympic torch. That's one of the. That's my Olympic torch. From what? I carry the torch. I was in the Olympic torch relay for the 2002 Winter Olympics in 2001. Is that right? I was part of the relay. I need to see that video someday. I have photos that I I couldn't find. I was going to bring them in. Yeah, I was part of the... This thing is three feet long and it's three pounds. Now, why? Because you're a runner? Now, there's a... I mean, you were in your 50s at the time. Yeah, it was uh, in, yeah, 2000 and 2000. I've been running since 1978. Okay. But... That's prop number three, by the way. All three have been interesting. Pardon me? Prop (laughs) Prop, number... That's prop number three. They've all been good. (laughs) You got to watch the YouTube channel, folks. Well, well, here's here's the way. Here's here's how that happened. Um, In 2001... Uh, I, the job I had, uh, one of the way this works, you know, the, the Olympics, um, the network tries to really, uh, create a lot of interest in them. 
So typically for the, and I don't even know if they still do it, whatever host country it is, they, they take the uh, Olympic flame from Greece and then they bring it to the host country. You know, they light the torch and whatever. And then they have a relay that goes around the country and it's broadcast on television to create interest in watching the Olympics. So there's a lot of people involved because there are small sections that you run in. My section was in Princeton, New Jersey uh, in 2001, about three days before Christmas. There were 30, there were 35 or 40 of us that completed that section in Princeton. The way you were chosen, there's a certain number that are celebrities, obviously, because they get the most attention. Then there are a certain number that when they go through a media market, say, if NBC is doing it, they would grab somebody from uh, Channel 28. Okay. Martin, I don't know if you remember Keith Martin. Yes, Keith, of course. Yeah, uh, Keith Martin did it in uh, Baltimore, Maryland the day before I did. Gotcha. And then there was a certain percentage that were allocated to those who did community service. Here comes, somebody had to nominate you. Here comes somebody, John May Day. Here comes John May Day. Somebody nominated me from the place I worked, and I didn't even know they nominated me. Because you were a runner and a, and a, and a, and a servant to the community. And uh, the, the running part was irrelevant to that. Oh, person. okay. The fact that I was, see, you didn't have to run with the thing. People walked with it because people were concerned about dropping it. Right. So, so I received, I was, I was nominated. I received the packet of information. I was through the packet because I didn't know what it was because Chevrolet was one of the sponsors of it. So I read this big, big packet of information and I thought somebody's trying to sell me a car. So I threw it on the side. And a couple of days later, I thought, you know what? Maybe I better look inside there because there may be some personal information that I don't want to throw this in the trash. Yeah. And you open it and I started reading it and I thought, this has to be a scam. You've been selected to carry the leather torch and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds scamming. Yeah, yeah. Like the, like the Nigerian prince wants your money. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I so I thought, okay, you know, there's a phone number here. So I called it. And they said, yes, this is legitimate. But if you didn't call within two days, you would have been it would you would have been out because we needed to know. So I did. So I called. I said, yeah, I'm going to do it. Who wouldn't want to do that? Yeah, right. So, so did you get to keep that torch or did you steal it? No, no. Here's the, here's the way they did it. You get to buy it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but, but the proceeds went to Special Olympics. But who wouldn't want to buy that? After yeah, you, right. How much? Come on, give me the price. I think it was uh, $300. Okay, that seems but, uh, fair. But, 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 you know, the proceeds go to uh, Special Olympics. So to me, it was a, you know, it's a, it's a good investment. It's a win-win. Yeah, it absolutely is. So I went to Princeton, New Jersey. But that was also the year of uh, 9-11. That happened. That's uh, right, 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 right. And so this thing was starting uh, in October. So this almost didn't go because this thing was almost canceled because of 9-11. But... The powers that be said, no, we have to go on with this. They're not going to stop us from doing what we want to do. They're not going, you know, they're not going to defeat us. So I drove to, a, but before that, of course, you know, how you are, you know, with your friends, people were saying to me, some of my friends said, hey, what if you're tripping fall with that thing? <laughs> yeah, it was a glass, right? Glass and aluminum. Yeah. And then the flame goes out because at that point in time, you're the only person on the planet that has the Olympic flame while you're carrying that. Because it goes from, you transfer the flame from torch to torch. I love there it. A, there was a butane uh, cartridge in there. See, and folks, who we get here on the podcast, torch carriers, one and only in Northeastern PA, probably one of the few. And here I am. 
Well, John, before we wrap it up, uh, I just want to mention a few things. Um, we left out a little bit of a gap. So when we left you in, uh, you know, in the 70s and 80s, two things happened. You got married and you had a career. What, what, what was your career? I got a couple of them. Uh, okay. 18 years with IBM. Okay. Which, which worked well. Good. Because that's one of the reasons I could do what I do now. Right. I invested well. Um, I also worked at uh, the uh, Wolfsburg Chamber of Commerce for a few years, for about eight years. And I worked at the uh, 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 Little Flower Manor. I don't know if you knew what that was. No. It was a, a, a skilled nursing and assisted living facility. I was their fundraiser and their um, promotions. Where I ran all the events and I coordinated the capital campaign that built the uh, assisted living facility. I worked there for 10 years. So you're always entrenched in the community, it seems, uh, trying to do uh, fight the good fight, so to speak. Well, why not? Yeah. You know, what are the alternatives? So, so you're, 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 yeah, you're right. I know you. You can't, like you said in the opening of the podcast, you don't want to sit back in the rocking chair watching reruns of Mash, right? Right. Who who wants to do that? But then some people want to do that, you know. But that was the theory. That was, you know, typically the demographic years ago. You know, you went to work. You know, you were born. You went to high school. Maybe you went to work in the mines, or you went to work in the factory, or went to work for somewhere. You worked your twenty or thirty years. You retire, and then somebody said you have to sit on the porch. Now you can sit on the porch and relax. And about five years, you were dead. So, <laughs> so <laughs> it brings up the old adage when some people say, uh, you know, when are you going to retire? And then you, you, the answer is retire from what? Or retire to what? Right? Yeah, you got life is life. Who wants to retire? You know, Bob Dylan, Entangled Up in Blue, the great line. The only thing I know how to do is keep on keeping on. I love it. Just keep going. And there's another great line in that song because he talks about people sitting around looking like furniture. And those are the people I do not want to be around. Oh, I love it. See, you're an inspiration. And the and the wife, that didn't work out. No, you know, oh, that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for dirt. Well, we met there in 1969 and we had this relationship. And then in, in 1985, we got married. And then 1989, we were divorced. Wow, four years. You don't seem, you seem like a very compatible guy. Well, here's, but we were together. Oh, yeah, from 69 to 85, yeah. No, we were, no. But I think what happened was, um, you know, people change. Sometimes people change. Sometimes their attitudes change about things. And, you know, we built a house. We bought a house, and then we, she talked me into building a house um, (laughs) right across the street from where were you? Well, we had a house because there was a lot open. And yeah. I said, yeah, that all sounds like a good idea. It looks like a good investment. We could put whatever we want in there. And then, but I think that became um, maybe overwhelming. I'm not sure. But uh, but then things changed and she decided she wanted to do something different. And um, I said, you know what, I'm disappointed, but, you know, people change. So, you know, you don't feel animosity. You just have to be understanding. So, and then, um, so it's been... Interesting ever since. You're a wise man. So at what year did you, quote, unquote, retire from the uh, the, the IBM or whatever else? So you've been well, retired how long? The last pay job I had was at the Chamber of Commerce. And the, that last paying gig ended in uh, 2014. 2014. Okay. So, uh, I mean, you're going on almost a decade without a paying job, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and now entrenched in the 
in the, in the river and its efforts to make it a positive experience mm-hmm. here in northeastern central Pennsylvania. So uh, I think we'll end this with what, unfortunately, this hits on a day when your river fest had already ended, but your duties don't end. Could you tell a little bit about what, what you want to tell everyone about the uh, your, your doings concerning the uh, Susquehanna River or rivers in general? Well, you know, we, we constantly, uh, we constantly educate about it. The one thing we educate about is, and not many people realize this, you know, every, everybody lives downstream and everything in this river flows into the Chesapeake Bay. And we have to keep on reminding people of that. So anything that flows into the Chesapeake Bay will eventually end up halfway around the world into that massive island of plastic that's floating around that that's that's become a serious problem so that's we use the river as a catalyst to teach about the environment that it's 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 a grand river all bodies of water are grand but they're also delicate and they have to be treated that way they have have to be treated with uh, basically kindness we don't want to we don't want to uh, we don't we don't want to be the problem for them we don't want the impact that we have be affected by someone halfway around the world. It isn't right. We have to be courteous. We have to be, we have to be respectful of each other and we have to be respectful of the environment. Here, here, brother, here, here, brother. And then everybody benefits from this. That's the beauty right. of it. But it's not easy for people to do that. Sometimes people like to take the uh, easier path. It's easier to drop something instead of taking it over there to the trash can. Or it's a, it's easier not to think about, that as as their responsibility we are all responsible we're here for a short period of time we lease this spot and we owe a responsibility to leave it better than when we came here yeah you make great points and uh, uh, the reminder that everything that goes down your sink or through your toilet ends up in the chesapeake the gulf stream and ends up off the coast of europe and norway and sweden and england yeah. It's it's and then a part of the circulation of the ocean. It's all one, man. It's all one. But do you know how difficult that is sometimes to get somebody to understand? People, they that? don't think that way. I understand that. Uh, my beef is always this because the river is a beautiful place to yep. spend your time, enjoyment, leisure, kayaking, mm-hmm. etc. There are people who go to Disneyland every year oh, and never is. even once went near the river or kayaked it or went on a canoe. What are these people thinking? Come on. Don't get me started on that. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a things. wonderful experience. Your blood pressure will drop. You the bird. I'm not standing in line for anything. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm going to quote you on that because I like that one. John Mayday, I'm not standing in line for anything. Oh, man, we think alike, brother. Well, well it, was, it was it was a good time with you, man. Keep keep doing keep fighting the good fight for the rivers and uh, and uh, it was a great talk. I think for the last hour, you're a good man. You're a great American. Well, you know, I see. I don't even. I just look at myself as I'm just some ordinary schmo who does now. I'm at the, but I've always been this way. I've always had this attitude that you know we are what we are, and we can only do what we can do. And let's just keep on trying to. As I said, just respect each other just and just get through it. And don't don't create, as you say, don't create drama. Don't make a big deal out of everything. I hate drama. And I also like this one this way, too. And at times, just leave me alone. 
<laughs> All right. No lines for this guy. Thanks, John Mayday, brother. We're off. Okay. Curiosity. What are you so curious about? Everything. Mr. Curiosity. Bye.